Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This Ben Jarofsky show, Benny J bonus interview is brought to you in part by the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, Local 126 in District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky show as I speak. It's Friday, May 15th, 2020. Front page photo in my Chicago Tribune shows happy cheeseheads. Uh, in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, at a bar in Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. They're so happy. The Wisconsin State Supreme Court said that Governor Tony Evers overextended his constitutional uh, authority and uh, went too far in a stay-at-home order, and they essentially allowed bars and taverns to open up, and the little happy cheeseheads flocked to those bars and taverns, raising the possibility that maybe the cheeseheads know, know more about science and pandemics and life-threatening diseases than all the doctors and scientists in the world. To discuss that and many other issues, I have two distinguished guests who are regulars on this show, and I'm going to ask our distinguished guests to introduce themselves, starting with the distinguished guest known as Juanita. Hey, this is Juanita Irizarry. Uh I am the executive director of Friends of the Parks, but as I always say when I come on this show, I am speaking for myself and not the organization today. Very good. Welcome back, Juanita. Uh, second mm-hmm. distinguished guest, introduce yourself. Hi, this is Lori Glenn. I'm a political and public affairs consultant on social justice issues, and my company is Think Inc. Happy to be back, Ben. Uh, happy to have you back, both of you. Uh, two of my favorite guests, and they come on the show about once a month. And they originally started coming on this show uh, about a year ago in an attempt to more fairly, and that's, uh, I think, Lori Glenn's words, evaluate uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. So it's like a year anniversary that Lori Glenn and Juanita Rosario have been coming on this show and discussing, among other things, Lori Lightfoot. So we'll get to uh, an opinion and assessments of the first year of Lori Lightfoot. But um, let's just start with what I began with, because I'm looking at this photo, and Juanita, I'll start with you. This photo, uh, it, <laughs> I mean, these cheeseheads, they're so happy. Their bars are open, they go back. And we talk about this all the time. Dennis and I are losing our minds uh, as we head into the second month of this quarantine. We're doing this show from my attic overlooking the alley, and we are freaking out. After a while, it just gets to you. Uh, but... What do you think, Awani? Do you think the uh, the people of Wisconsin are jumping the gun a little bit, or do they know more than all the scientists and doctors in the world about COVID nineteen? Yeah, I think they're kind of crazy, um, and it actually hits really close uh, to home for me that it's Lake Geneva in particular. Um, I grew up uh, volunteering at a, a summer camp in Lake Geneva, so um, my family is very connected to that area i actually have a timeshare condo up there and i am not going near it under these conditions 
if, you know, people in Wisconsin can't figure out that they need to stay home. It's just crazy. Uh, What's your thoughts on this, Lori Glenn? Well, I mean, I just think this is an example of the lack of national public policy strategy uh, from the White House and uh, the fact that they created this partisan environment and lack of understanding of science and public health and public unity and all of the things we need to create a healthy, happy, united States of America. So I think it's tragic. And um, I think that uh, a lot of people are going to get sick. And then, unfortunately, many people will die. And I think that this lack of understanding that this is not about just the me, but it's about the we and how our lives are interconnected and that we need each other, which means we need each other to be socially distant and respectful because definitely this uh, pandemic, uh, well, actually the coronavirus itself, it doesn't respect any line, class, age, uh, sex, uh, religion, you know, just like uh, the churches here in Chicago, some of them feel the need that they must uh, reconvene. And uh, one has to say, I'm sorry, though, you, you know, in God we trust uh, might be some kind of statement somewhere. But actually, if you believe in God, then God created the coronavirus and he's going to let it go wild. <laughs> yeah. By the way, yeah. I, I should point out uh, that it's not only uh bar goers and tavern goers in Wisconsin who want to go back to their uh, regular life, uh, the, the virus be damned. It's also pastors and the preachers and religious yeah. people here in the city of Chicago. So Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Governor Pritzker here uh, in Chicago and Illinois, respectively, are under siege from religious leaders, Willie Wilson leading the charge, former mayoral candidate Willie Wilson, uh, demanding that the government allow uh, churchgoers to go to church uh, every Sunday, and despite the pandemic, despite the stay-at-home orders. Your thoughts on this, Juanita? Yeah, you know, I've mentioned many times on this um, show that I, I grew up in an evangelical space and still relate in some ways to that community, but I don't even understand, to be honest, how churchgoers who are really deeply um, educated in their faith think it's important to be physically in a building together in order to practice their faith. So, you know, it's a sad day when maybe people are pushing past the, the real tenets of the faith to either need to pay a pastor's salary and they have some sense that if they all go to church together, they're more likely to put money in the offering plate, or um, that this is really, this is a political issue and feeling like the government is oppressing churches by telling them that they uh, can't gather. Um, I find it um, both silly from a, a sense of deep understanding of what the gospel is supposed to be about and in terms of risking people's lives, um, it just doesn't make any sense. And I really think it's silly that really Wilson is both asking out masks and telling people they should go to church on Sunday. Yeah, that is. Uh, and I want to say that it's ahead. not just the, the um, uh, Christian community as uh, uh, agnostic Jew. We're seeing yeah. the Jewish community, the Hasidim in New York City, and whereas with uh, the Blasio was slow in 
his, uh, I think, active response to COVID, uh, certainly his chiding the um, Hasidic community for having a wedding that went completely out of control, evidently, and the Hasidim insisting that they must convene together again, um, whereas it just seems like they put themselves above the law and they put themselves above others in the community. Any way you look at this across religion, whichever religion it might be, um, it's not okay to send a message as a religious leader. Um, and also the former mayoral candidate, while it's quite generous of him to be spending his uh, dollars to send and share um, masks with all uh, people on the south and west side of Chicago. And I thank Willie Wilson for that. But then stop being political and using this as a moment to go after the governor and especially the mayor, uh, who are both doing an excellent job. And we're so lucky to have both of them leading the charge here, again, because we have no national pandemic coordinated response coming from the White House. Well, there's uh, several political themes uh, that are at play here. And you know me, uh, Lori Juanita, I'm going to bring it out. We've been talking about it all week, so I'm going to put it on the table here. Um, I think there's, how do I put this? That Donald Trump and uh, the MAGA hat wearers, the central theme of the re-election campaign was that he had delivered on his promise to make America great again. I'm just telling you how they view the world. And they were going mm -hmm. to put a spotlight on any good news they could coming out of the economy. Lower unemployment, higher stock market, uh, wealthier people, wealthier than ever. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and lo and behold, here comes a pandemic. The, uh, the economy is effectively shut down. Unemployment shoots up. Suddenly, there's, we don't even know how we're going to pay the basic bills. People, have, people are having to turn to government to just get the money they need to live. It utterly destroys, it decimates the re-election theme. So in my humble opinion... So much of this is politically motivated by an attempt to look for a culprit to blame for the downturn uh, in the economy. Uh, and, uh, and I think that the culprit, there's many different culprits that they will uh, use. And one of them are Democrats like J.B. Pritzker or Tony uh, Evers of Wisconsin or Gretchen Whitmer of Michigan, that they, as the MAGA hat people would see it, have gone too far. They've destroyed the economy in an effort to destroy Donald Trump's campaign. That's my theory of what motivates the politics from their end. What's your response to that, Lori Glenn? Well, I mean, it's basic Machiavellian 101. Look for an enemy outside to bring your base together. So we know that's what they're doing, but that's what is just so tragic when you have a narcissist in office. He's also, uh, you know, to the extreme, and uh, around him you have uh, these, um, uh, I don't know the word even, I'm sorry, just, you know, really bad people who are unwilling to speak truth to power because they're so worried for themselves. And you don't have, um, uh, when, when the when truth and fact and science become um, something that you have to be careful to talk about, you know that you're in a totalitarian state. 
because throughout the history of the world, as we know, potentates and all these different uh, types of leaders who have been um, demagogic have always uh, used lies and have always uh, tried to turn the truth uh, against people. And um, Trump is, you know, it's interesting that he's using Ronald Reagan's theme, which was make America great again. And one has to imagine even Ronald Reagan would not be acting in as genius a form as this man is. Uh, even uh, former George Bush Jr. has come out against what he's done. And it's, again, I don't know if we said this in the show before, it's so hard to believe that I think George Bush Jr. is a better president than Donald Trump. Like, I wish he was in office now, but even he would not have handled this as poorly as this human being has. I mean, we are the laughing stock of the world. And also people and, and pity, people are pitying us. Uh, this is just a tragedy beyond belief that we do not have someone at the top coordinating with the 50 governors and figuring out as a United States again, who needs what, how to get all the different kinds of uh, equipment to the hospitals, to uh, first-line workers, and to make sure that we take care of those who are the hardest hit, because that is what our nation has been built upon, and to create unity. So, I mean, this is classic what he's doing. Uh, it's, it's a classic, you know, power uh, book of, uh, from Machiavelli or from The Art of War or anything. And it's tragic because, uh, again, 86,000 people have died in America. What, 23% of Americans are unemployed now. And we are more divided than we've ever been. And it makes me want to cry. Juanita, uh, you just heard what Lori said. Uh, do you agree with her overall assessment? And if so, do you think, if it is a political strategy designed by the Trumpsters and the MAGA hat worker wearers, do you think it will work? Well, I think the strategy from uh, Trump's people and Trump, but the MAGA hat wearers, I sometimes don't think are necessarily strategic themselves and there's so much lack of logic in a lot of what we see um it just seems like sheep being led to the slaughter um with you know folks who stand on the side of a, a pro-life agenda who are actually being offered up to potentially die in you know pursuit of this message that we must have freedom and liberty and we need to open the economy um so I'm not always sure if it's logic. I find the whole thing mind-boggling, but I do think that there's uh, purposefulness in what Trump is doing. Whether his followers actually do things with purposefulness, I'm not sure. Mm. Well, my uh, greater concern, I've said all along, I've made this prediction, uh, uh, Lori Juanita may have made it to you. Uh, everybody knows I'm not the biggest Joe Biden fan. Uh, but that's the party the electorate decided to go his way. I still think Joe Biden will be victorious because I do not believe this country is going to watch this madness and decide it's a good thing to continue it. Uh, on the other hand, well, sometimes actually, I get a little nervous. <laughs> go ahead, Lori. No, but actually, they are now finding that COVID is going into the red state uh, in a big way. So those communities which have been uh, the biggest Trump supporters, it was bound to happen. 
if you congregate together, if you touch your face after you take a beer and somebody poured that beer, who touched that glass, who touched the bar uh, within 72 hours of having COVID, you are exposed and potentially going to get it. And so that's now beginning to happen because people aren't listening. So this, you know, this is the crazy thing. COVID is not about red state, blue state. Uh, it is becoming about the fact that it's a black and brown issue more so than others because it's showing the growing and increased and continued inequity of our society. And it is very scary, I'm sure, for people who are of color to see that the Trump administration, when they saw how many people of color, uh, as one article put it, it was no longer a pandemic because it was no longer people that he considered important. But any of that kind of thinking is so antithetical to the basic tenets of uh, our Constitution. But let us remember not to the basic tenets of the United States, because our country was built on racism. Our country was built on segregation and slavery. And we've never come to grips with that. And that as a result of never really addressing how our country was built, it comes through. And of course, it comes through in this pandemic because we never really dealt with the essential issues uh, from our founding. I can't really say it. I can't say it better than that. That's it. You Uh, got it. Thank you. All right. uh, (laughs) So uh, you guys kind of ducked and dodged, avoided the issue of will it work? We'll see. We'll have plenty of time to discuss the ramifications uh, uh, for the November election. but I, no, I I'm think gonna, that Biden wins. I'm going to say Biden wins, yeah. Okay, all right. There, I think okay. Biden no ducking and dodging on this show. All right. Uh, no, now, I think he wins. Uh, and then, again, none of us have been lovers of Biden, but it does look like already he's got some momentum despite some real flaws. Um, but, you know, he needs to win in this well, reality. I, I'm putting this out here this way. I am thoroughly convinced and I've learned this from my partner, Dennis. I do not believe that polls accurately evaluate people's attitudes towards Donald Trump because I do think there's a lot of lying upholsters uh, when it comes to Donald Trump. So I'm doing this on faith. I make my prediction on yeah. faith, which is always shaky, okay, <laughs> to have faith. And I just cannot believe that swing voters in the DuPage counties of the world are going to go with this lunatic. That's, I just have to have so, some faith in my fellow Americans. I mean, it's not even about that. It's just that uh, Joe Biden is just not that dislikable a character. Uh, one of his great assets, I bet if you did look at polling, one of the things you have to look at are people's negatives, right? Is like, And one of the reasons we no longer have uh, our previous mayor, and I'm sure he decided not to run. Is like, how much do people actively dislike a candidate? And unfortunately, Hillary, though I think she would have made a really great president, was a terrible candidate. She is not likable by the American public and did not turn out the Democratic Party. Now, whereas Joe Biden is not exactly like going to, you know, it's not like Burning Man and people are going to come out in droves <laughs> and party with him yeah. or for him. They are going to vote for him because the world will become more, quote unquote, normal or sane or not as extreme because Donald Trump has demonstrated with the uh, minions, let's call them, around him that they don't know how to run the country. They just don't know 
how to technically run the United States. And Joe Biden has the experience as a U.S. senator for many, many years as the former VP and a world leader. And you may not love Joe Biden, but I believe he will put in place very capable people who we will recognize our democracy again, which is so at risk from this uh, horrible person in the White House. You know, that's a technical term. Mm-hmm. Horrible person in the White House. I call him that. Juanita? I, I got him too, said it very well. Um, yeah, I don't have anything to add. I really don't. All right. Let's uh, move to uh, local issues. Uh, Lori alluded to this, Lori Glenn, that is. Uh, she made a reference to our previous mayor, and uh, senility hasn't completely overtaken my brain. I recall the previous mayor was, let me think about this, Mayor Rahm. Oh, yeah, Mayor Rahm was his name. Uh, And uh, it was about a year ago, almost a year to this day, uh, that uh, Lori Lightfoot was officially sworn in uh, as our mayor. And Mayor Rahm uh, bid farewell and went off to the private uh, world of hedge fund or wheeling and dealing or wherever he is and just making a fortune. Good for Mayor Rahm. All right, so a year in, let's get your thoughts on uh, how Lori Lightfoot has done. And before I uh, go here, I just want to point out that one of the first re- one of the reasons I first asked Lori Glenn to come on the show is because she had more of a benevolent attitude uh, than I did uh, about some of the initial move- maneuverings about uh, Lori Lightfoot. And I w- absolutely wanted to do my best to get Lori some Lori Lightfoot voices on this show, people who you know had a generally a positive view of her. Many of our listeners, uh, Lori Glenn, there's so many Lori's in this. Many of our listeners uh, are uh, in lefty land, and they're not particularly pleased with Lori Lightfoot's uh, tenure as mayor. Um, so how do you evaluate so far a year in? Well, um, hello, Lori. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> so actually, I think that Lori Lightfoot, during this pandemic, has done an incredible job of showing strength and leadership and vulnerability and uh, to demonstrate how a leader needs to act under the kinds of pressures that all of us are experiencing. And you know what? She's not there to be loved. And I like that about Lori because a lot of times leaders make a big mistake because they have needs to be liked and loved. Do you like me? Do you love me? Am I, you know, and, but she's like, Hey man, you know, I'm here. If I'm here for one term, but I am going to do what I believe in, what I think is right. She has a point of view. Now, I do not always agree with Lori's point of view, uh, period. But that doesn't mean I don't think she's a great leader. And I certainly think she's a better leader than we've had for many, 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 many years, actually. And uh, since Harold Washington. Okay. So that's a long, 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 well, long time. Okay. We just say something. The bar's kind of low. I mean, we only had two mayors, basically, between uh, Harold Washington no, and Lori. No, you L- forgot Sawyer. You I said basically Sawyer. he was never elected. He did serve. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he. No, listen. Okay, come on. So Lori Lightfoot. I'm just saying, though, you, you only have two mayors you can marry or two. The Teachers Union, okay? First thing, wham, bam. And then they, she has to deal with the budget, which was a big, fat F.U. kiss from Rom. That he, you know, was just like boiling over, and she had to contend with that, and dealing with all these unbelievably contentious issues around the budget, and dealing with the promises that I'm sure she wanted to keep in her election, 
Because, again, I don't think she's a woman who just makes promises and then blows you off. But I don't think is she just, you know, she's not a lefty. She's not. We knew that when she got elected. She is not a quote-unquote progressive in the left sense of it. And I know that as one who is. But I will say I think she's put in great people. I've said it before. It hasn't changed. You tell a lot about somebody by who they surround themselves with. And I believe that she's had to make a lot of tough choices. Now, again, we do not agree on everything. But that doesn't make her a bad leader. It means that I live in a pluralistic society, and some battles I win and some I lose. But I do part company with some of my colleagues that want to just trash her and say, F you, she is just horrible. She's blah, 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 just like Rom. And that's like bullshit. It's just not true. I had to swear once, okay? All right. Well, so it wouldn't be Lori. All right. Juanita, uh, your thoughts. Juanita. Yeah. Um, I, I won't be quite as generous to Lightfoot as Lori has just been, but I do agree uh, that I just really can't stand it when people say she's just like Rom. I mean, she's not like Rom in so many ways, and I am thankful every day um, that we do not have Rom and that we have like what rather than rock. Um, I, however, think that sometimes her personality gets in her way. Um, and while I, I think sometimes her, her strength um, and particularly, you know, during COVID um, can, can have some value. I think sometimes kind of the, the courtroom warrior um, Lightfoot is not the one that needs to show up in the moment, but I don't know if she has got, different nuances of her personality to call upon. Um, and so I guess for me, that would be one place that I would nudge her if I were in a position to do that, uh, which I'm not. Don't have that kind of relationship with her. Um, and I'm every day happy that it's not my job to deal with the things that she's dealing with, um, and particularly during um, COVID. But I do think that again, there, there are some nuances that, that maybe she's missing um, that um, could be taken into consideration around some of the um, policies at the lakefront and parks, for example, as well as some of the challenges with kind of the way she's come down really hard on black people who are partying or, you know, out playing basketball, yet being nicey-nicey to the people in the churches that are gathering or, you know, being very um, permissive of people using lakefront parks that are, in fact, closed while uh, police are harassing sometimes users of other parks that are not closed. So kind of that's one of the things that she had been, you know, critiqued about during election season. Folks that had had some experience with her kind of imagine her coming down very hard on black youth or, you know, minority communities. And, and I'm a little bit concerned that we're seeing some of those uh, inequities play out um, in her style right now. Lori, do you have uh, any thoughts about that? What Juanita had to say? Um, well, I, I think that it's got to be a really difficult moment right now with all the competing interests that are going on around COVID. And I know that there was a task force that was created to address equity issues and I think that it's got to be really difficult because in the black and brown community which is hit the hardest I know that 
um, groups that I work with, with Communities Partnering for Peace, there was an editorial the Tribune did in the Chicago Forward series a few weeks ago, and um, you had Target Area uh, Development Corporation, and you had uh, New Life Centers both talking about the fact that these young men of color, black and brown men uh, of color, who um, don't feel they have a lot to live for. And so, um, you know, Autry Phillips, you know, runs into, a, you know, a basketball game with 80 or 90 kids. And he's like, nobody's wearing masks, nobody's wearing gloves, everybody's touching each other. And he's like freaking out. So I don't think that necessarily coming down harder on a community that is also at the most risk is necessarily the same kind of racism that one might think in the sense of racial profiling if you're stopping more people in the car because they're black versus white in general. I think it's a really tough call right now because communities of color are suffering in a much greater degree. And also the inequities of the fact that they don't have internet in the same way, so there's a digital divide. Information is not getting out as much to that community as it should be. And in general, they don't have the same resources to protect themselves. And, and these are the essential workers as well living in these communities who are more at risk. So I think it's a complicated issue, but I'm not going to suggest that the mayor is perfect because I don't think anybody is. And I wouldn't want to dismiss Juanita's concerns. And, and let me just say, I mean, I bring up these concerns sitting in the 60639 zip code, which was one of the ones with a very, very high rate of COVID. And I did not leave my house. Um, we don't even walk down the street. We don't go to the grocery store. We have it delivered because we, you know, feel really unsafe in our community. Um, however, if for my mental health, I need to take a walk in a park and I'm in a park where nobody else is around me and the cops come and tell me to get out of the park because the park is closed, that is oppression and it does not help my mental health because it's not just that social distancing is being enforced. It's that the police are saying the easiest thing to do is just tell these people to go home rather than have a nuanced response where they're breaking up large gatherings. It's not just an issue of large gatherings. And that right. is a problem. No, I'm sure that that is difficult, but I do think that it becomes problematic as we are, you know, even I went for uh, a walk uh, in my community yesterday uh, around five or six and many people had masks on but then many people didn't and then there are people running who aren't wearing masks and then they decide that they can just run past me really close and I'm just scattering around you know going back and forth on the street walking in the middle of the street trying not to get close to people so I do think um, that part of the problem is is I've all, you also see that People aren't taking this seriously, and so when they do, if you are the mayor or the governor, and all of a sudden you see people partying, I saw that video of, like, it looked like there were 100 young people of color in a party on the west side of Chicago. If I was the mayor, I know I'd be freaking out. Here I am trying my best to save lives, and these people are... Yeah, but, here, but, so here's the thing. but here's the thing, there's people trampling fences in Lincoln Park, which is closed, and people in Lincoln Park are having a hard time in that neighborhood also with social distancing, but we do not see the crackdown 
in that space. And this is my point. You know, on the one hand, you know, in my professional role, you know, in many ways, we lament that the park is closed or the parks are along the lakefront. But from another point of view, as someone who lives on the west side, you know, I lament that there's favorable treatment given to people who are using Lincoln Park when it's closed. You know, well, so I, I assume, how do we I deal with that? Yeah, That's I agree question. with you. I hope as yeah. Friends of the Park, though you are not on the show with statements from Friends of the Park, but yeah. I hope that you are getting that message across to uh, the mayor and to the police and to the people in power so they understand that that maybe something is going on that they don't realize. Because I really find it hard to believe that Lori Lightfoot, who herself is a black woman, um, mm-hmm. would want to see people of color be treated in a less of a um, equal way as people who are white. I just don't think she's racist that way. That's the challenge, you know, it, it's maybe not purposeful, but that's how our systems work yeah. in our city, you know? And so how do we, even in the midst of these challenges, um, be very, careful about those things. All right, so I'm going well, to let Juanita have the last word in this one, Lori, and now I'm going to uh, sort of redirect things, Juanita, and ask you this question. Uh, and it has to do something that you and I chatted about before we went on air, the lakefront. Uh, and the, the decision by Lori Lightfoot to close the lakefront was a, a sort of an iconic moment uh, in her, uh, uh, with the last two months of her performance as mayor uh, with the pandemic. Uh, overall, what's your assessment of that? Do you think she was right to close the lakefront? Uh, and did when, what could be done to open it up anytime soon? Yeah, well, I said before that, you know, I, I had just come home from vacation in Florida when the, everything started shutting down, and I saw partiers in, on the beach in Florida, and I was horrified, and I felt very unsafe. So in that context, I did not feel it was inappropriate to shut down the lakefront and um, we've clearly seen people not be able to behave and not make good decisions about not congregating. So I, I, I respect that decision. Um, and to be quite clear, Friends of the Parks has supported um, that decision despite it, the frustration about it. I do think that the mayor is going to have to come up with some kind of hybrid plan to reopen some spaces as we move towards summer and as we continue to live with a lot of restrictions, not sure it will be workable to not think about policies that we see other cities experimenting with in terms of opening more streets where there's less car traffic so that people can walk with more um, space and having some kind of social ambassador um, role like Seattle has implemented. And the mayor actually mentioned the other day that, that she thought that as something that could be possible, um, including employing people in that way. Um, and, and having maybe different hours and different um, shifts kind of, you know, of, of use of some of the, the lakefront parks and beaches. So I think we're going to have to go there exactly what point that will happen may not be as soon as any of us would like but i also think chicagoans need to not be stupid and go out and congregate because those who do that are going to make it bad for all of us 
Yeah. Uh, and uh, this my my favorite little take on all this. I like to tease the mayor. Lori Glenn's going to get really mad at me. Uh, but I like to tease the mayor because, yes, she is the mayor of the city of Chicago, but she's not God. And so every now and then, even mayors make mistakes. And a little humility every now and then wouldn't hurt uh, in this crisis. Uh, so the when she closed the lakefront, I like to always point out that uh, she closed that lakefront uh, indignation, uh, in indignation uh, after people in Chicago flooded to the lakefront. It was a re- one of the first nice days in about a month or so. It was a gorgeous day. I want to say it was a Tuesday, Juanita. And people flooded mm-hmm. to the lakefront. And I'm going to tell you this, Lori Glenn. Now, I'm not from Chicago like you, but I've lived in Chicago a long time. And one thing I've learned about Chicagoans is that when they get that first nice day, they're like kids at recess. And they run out, they run out, and they want to just throw off their shirts and put the Frisbees up in the air. And I do believe that uh, Mayor Lightfoot's team dropped the ball on that one because they should have realized they got apps on their phone. They could have seen it was going to be a nice day the next day. So when she came on on the TV and just had the pictures of the Chicagoans being goofy, which they were, I admit it, Juanita, you're absolutely correct. They did not behave well. They did not follow common sense. They were behaving like cheeseheads in a bar in, in Wisconsin as opposed to sophisticated Chicagoans. Maybe there's not much difference to begin with. Uh, I think she might have recognized that she and her team did not take proper precaution, uh, knowing that the next day was going to be gorgeous. Do you get what I'm saying? And uh, so a little humility every now and then, Lori Glenn. It wouldn't hurt, okay? That's all I'm saying. Okay, let, me, let me just add one more thing. I mean, there, there is a reality that not all of our lakefront parks get the same usage either, you know? And... We have an Obama Center being built in Jackson Park based on the fundamental argument that that park is underutilized. Mm-hmm. That is a very big part of the claim that that's why we should put that building there. So if that park is so underutilized on a regular basis, why is it shut down? It, it doesn't get the same amount of use as a Lincoln Park or a Montrose Harbor area. But I do think there were some nuances as well that the mayor's office missed um, in terms of which areas along the lakefront really were and, and continue to be the problem areas in terms of overuse. All right. Anything you want to add, Lori, before I switch gears? No. <laughs> All right. That's the first time Lori I ever seen Lori Glenn. Glenn. <laughs> I've never heard Lori Glenn say no. I know. I can't believe it. I can't believe this is a moment, LG. I, I, usually she's got something to say. All right, let's move on. And, and uh, Lori put something up on her Facebook uh, that I found really moving. Uh, and we'll close with just sort of each of you thinking little words of wisdom that uh, you can offer listeners uh, for how to uh, stay sane uh, in uh, this pandemic. But Lori Glenn, you had you brought a tear to my cynical eye with something you wrote on Facebook last week, I think it was. I've lost track of time. Yeah. So why don't you tell people what you wrote and it just how it what you know your general philosophy about life? Go ahead. Well, um, as I said on Facebook, this is actually a really old story for me, uh, but I hope that it might be helpful for other people um, while we are all feeling challenged during um, this time of isolation and uncertainty. Um, 
And that is um, my brother, Freddie, actually, was 16 when he succumbed to Ewing sarcoma, which is a form of bone cancer that generally affects young people. And he had been sick for about 18 months, and his death really had devastated our family for years. And um, so for me, I was 10 at the time, and I lived most of my life uh, in fear that really I was going to get cancer and die young. So I lived my life really big, and very, very big life, as much as I could get in as I could, as fast as I could. And then when I was 39, uh, it was the end of a very long, cold uh, February day, week, uh, on Friday afternoon, this doctor called to tell me that I had breast cancer and that this lumpectomy I'd had, they found the cancer hiding behind a lump. So... I remember he called me and told me this on the phone because initially they thought I was clear. And I remember putting the phone down and going, oh, my God, my absolute worst nightmare has happened. I now have cancer, just like my brother. I have breast cancer. And um, I, at that time, I had a very successful company, um, the Glenn Group, and uh, I was uh, working 18-hour days, and I really had no balance in my life. I worked the weekends. I just, my whole life was my work, really. And I was successful, but I really wasn't happy. And so I took this very fear-ridden moment to really self-evaluate and look at who I was and what I really wanted out of life. And um, I really went into a lot of personal self uh, exploration about myself and how I personally needed to grow and change and evolve. And I changed my life and I really used the cancer as a leverage point to pivot and change my life. And seven years later, actually it reoccurred. And I, again, used this moment to reevaluate where I was in my life and to pivot again. And so, um, and again, uh, this wasn't an easy thing. Uh, looking for meaning in our lives is a process. It's not easy. It's not simple. It's not a moment of revelation. It's been a lot of ups and downs, and it's been many years of learning and processing. And um, I just wanted to talk to people about it because what I have learned is when the very worst thing happens and the thing that we you know, spend, you know, or you or me spend our whole life being afraid of, whether it's death or, you know, going bankrupt or just really being alone, that it is potentially an opportunity to find oneself. And I know that many of us, all of us, I think are probably feeling challenged on very, very many levels right now in our lives. And we're questioning who we are and what we do and what we need. And so I think that in this uh, new reality, you know, that if we address our fears, that when the worst thing happens, whether you're sick or you lose financial stability, our home, our family, our friends, and it opens a new way to live, we can find inside of ourselves a new beginning and a new moment and hope and a new reality. Because it's not going to be the same. Nothing's going to be the same. We are changed by this pandemic. I mean, we are. Nothing will be the same. But I think that this change is a catalyst for one's own personal growth. And I will say that since that very first late Friday, February afternoon call, my life, I know it's never been the same. And I know it sounds crazy to say this, but I am glad it's changed. And I was able to look at myself. And when I had the very worst thing that was my stalking horse all my life, which was to have cancer, 
um, I did come out on the other side and I did become better person, I hope, I think, and stronger and more open to what life has to offer. And I did find it inspiring to let go of a lot of expectations I created for myself and my life and to accept that this is my life. So the worst thing happened to me and it ended up being a gift in so many ways. So I just wanted to say to everyone who's struggling in life right now, which I think there are just millions of us who are struggling in this time, that I wish you well and know that I believe that you can meet your, your fears and then go through them. And I really mean that. All right, Lori, thank you very much. Juanita, um, you pr- you, did you have yeah. any thoughts you want to add to that? I'll just briefly um, say two things. Number one, I'm pretty sure that at the time that Lori faced that first cancer diagnosis, I was a client of hers as a staff person at uh, Baker Dyke Redevelopment Corporation, where she was doing some consulting work for us and where I first got to know her. Um, and I've enjoyed um, watching her life and the, the ups and downs that she's gone through and we've gone through together. Um, so glad you're still here, Lori, and to be gleaning your wisdom um, again and throughout the years. Um, similarly, I will just say that um, my family as well has just spent a lot of time reflecting on what we want our lives to be um, as we kind of spend a lot of time together. Um, and as we think about in the long term, you know, are we we're, are we living our lives the way we would want to and how do we use this time as a reset uh, button opportunity? And, you know, we do that in the full knowledge that, you know, we have a lot of privilege in that I still have a paycheck um, and not everybody um, has um, a lot, you know, lots of people have lost uh, their income. So we're very fortunate in that way, but it is a, a time to reflect on who we want to be as in our own small spaces, but how do we also maybe contribute to a, a larger reset button of our society and our world? And I'll leave it at that. All right. Well put, Juanita and uh, Lori. And uh, I want to thank the two of you for a year's worth of interviews. Uh, you've been ger- very generous with your time. And uh, touch wood, we'll continue the conversation uh, f- for the moment uh, over phone from my attic in your homes. Uh, but uh, let's hope that uh, pretty soon we'll be looking across the table back at the old little studio uh, and the world yeah, is safe. Nice. All right, well, you, we'll have our masks on. <laughs> you have your mask. Have, that's a start. You, ben. Yes, thank you, Lori. Uh, yes, with our masks. With we our masks. Thank you, Ben and Dennis. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Anita. Yep. All right. Yeah. It's good to stay connected, even though we're not together physically. Juanita and Lori, yeah. thank you very much. Take care, everybody.